Is Missouri putting more women at risk? We have an important issue to address here today on faith and family with the uh, with Judge Sachs, Howard Sachs' uh, order to uh, to expedite the process of uh, issuing licensing to Planned Parenthood clinics in Missouri to uh, to begin practicing abortions here in Missouri, Missouri, and that will increase potentially the number of abortions in Missouri. I'm Andy Bates. And I'm Kip Allen. And uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting Faith and Family. You can find out more about them right here on kfuo.org. Well, as you heard, Kip Allen in studio with me today, co-hosting here on Faith and Family. I, I Kip, I always enjoy having time to talk with you, especially when we get to uh, family policy and and, uh, and and policy and law, particularly when it comes to issues that that uh, concern the family. I enjoy being on it. Um, I love this type of programming. I, I really enjoy the research and the politics and the and the news that goes into it. As you know, my training is as a journalist, so this is my bread and butter. When you first saw the article, we, we saw the news, oh gosh, I think this was in May, about Judge Sachs' order. Yep. Uh, what was your response when you first saw that? Uh, I actually kind of expected that was going to happen because of the Supreme Court ruling with Whole Woman's Health that struck down safety regulations in the state of Texas. So I wasn't surprised that it happened here. Uh, I'm very... Uh, I'm very hopeful with uh, Attorney General Hawley's appeal of this because there are some very significant issues that I think that have been overlooked. Women's health is really a strong issue. Uh, Why should, I mean, there are some dangerous, dangerous aspects of this thing. Uh, People have died because of some of these these procedures that are being done. We, of course, have the horrible experience of Kermit Gosnell in uh, Pennsylvania. That was virtually a slaughterhouse. And to to dig deeper into this topic, mm-hmm. what better place to go than than an expert? Joining us now by phone, Dr. Donna Harrison, Executive Director of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Dr. Harrison, welcome back to Faith and Family. Thank you, Andy. I'm glad to be here. Always a privilege to talk with you, Dr. Harrison. As as we're learning more about the, the potential increase of uh, abortions in Missouri, it, it appears that the the most likely option that uh, several of the Planned Parenthood clinics will be going with is uh, chemical abortion. Um, can you help us understand what is uh, a chemical abortion, or d- does this procedure go by uh, it, other names? Yes, but first, before we talk about chemical abortion, I think we need to clarify something about abortion itself. Abortion is not health care. Abortion doesn't cure any disease. Elective abortion is, a, is an elective, it's a product. And the product that the abortionist provides is a dead baby. And I, my heart goes out to all those women who have been lied to, especially in terms of what abortion really is. And I want you to know that I'm going to talk about some frank things here, but it's not without the knowledge that many women have been hurt and that uh, when a woman walks out of an abortion clinic, she's the second victim. So I'm sorry that that you have been lied to uh, if you've had an abortion. But I do have to be fairly frank about what the abortion process is, and that is you pay the abortionist to produce a dead baby. It's not health care. So with that... The uh, difference between a surgical and a chemical abortion is that with a surgical abortion, the uh, abortionist 
remove the baby uh, either by the sucking the baby out in total or sucking out the baby in pieces if it's early or by pulling the baby out in pieces if it's later in the pregnancy. A chemical abortion, on the other hand, is a drug that, that blocks the hormone that the woman makes so that she can carry the baby. So it prevents the woman's body from feeding the baby. And it's actually two drugs. It's not just one. The first drug is called Mifeprex or uh, Mifepristone or RU486. It's called by all those things. And it specifically blocks that hormone, but that, that's not enough to cause the woman to squeeze the baby out. So when uh, the baby's been killed with the Mifepristone and the Mifeprex or RU486, then the second drug is Mesoprostol, which is also known as Cytotec. And that drug causes the uterus to contract and squeeze the baby out. But one out of 20 women will end up with a, with a complication serious enough to take them to the ER. One and out of 20? One out of 20, 5%. Wow. Most studies go between 3 and 6%. Now, I understand, uh, Dr. ER. Harrison, that, that uh, women have actually died from this drug. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. There's been 14 women as of 2011, but the FDA, under the previous administration, refused to release any of the adverse event reports, even though uh, they were asked, they were requested under the Freedom of Information Act. They refused to release them. And that's, that's in itself very concerning because we can't verify how many women have actually died now. Um, so, yes, they, women can die from this, and they can die from an overwhelming sudden infection that that uh, is called a clostridial infection, and it's very hard to diagnose. And it's and even if we diagnose it, it's even harder to treat. So the first woman who died of this was a beautiful eighteen-year-old uh, girl named Holly Patterson who died in California. But that's that fourteen that I mentioned is a minimum number because several of the deaths were not even recognized as being associated with the medical abortion until the CDC launched a huge investigation back in 2006. So I think what we're seeing is a hiddenness to this procedure. And of great concern is that some abortion clinics are telling women if they have a complication to go to the ER and say that they miscarried, which is is falsification of medical mm -hmm. uh, information, and it can cost the woman her life or, or serious delay in treatment if we don't know that she's had an inf uh, that she's had a mifeprex abortion, a, a chemical abortion. There are some differences between how you treat chemical abortion and how you treat a miscarriage. So that lie is also life threatening for her. I didn't know that. What are the differences between the chemical abortion and the natural abortion? Well, what happens with a chemical abortion is that the RU486 itself uh, acts on the blood vessels inside the womb and causes them not to be able to contract as well. So you can have massive hemorrhage. And one of the women in the clinical trials in Iowa when, when RU486 was first being looked at had a massive hemorrhage, uh, almost died. And the these... Uh, RU-486 uh, investigators said, well, there were no unexpected complications. Which they inspected that? <laughs> uh, yes, they did expect it. But you only get you only uh, get concerned as a researcher if there's unexpected complications, not expected complications. So the massive hemorrhage is expected. And this is the thing that 
that is so concerning is that the cavalier way in which the abortion industry has experimented on women has discounted the deaths, the the hemorrhages, the complications. It's as though the pile of dead bodies has to get high enough before somebody will take action. And this is the concern. It's to, to raise consciousness that women are being hurt from this. This is, this is indeed a woman's health issue, but it's a woman's health issue that women are being hurt because the abortion industry wants to sell a product. Take us back to the introduction of this, this pharmaceutical RU486, or, well, the combination of, of pharmaceuticals, uh, for RU486 and Cytotec. Uh, what was the what what were the surrounding circumstances that that brought this about that it, that introduced this drug to the market well this is a very odd uh drug introduction um president clinton basically wrote to the manufacturers of ru46 in france the, the company is rousseau cloth which is why you have ru in the in the name ru46 it's for rousseau cloth and he told them that they will bring the drug to the United States. And they said, no, we're not going to because the medical legal liability is too high. So he um, basically <laughs> basically um, caused, it, caused Rousseau Cloth to give the drug to Planned Parenthood. And Planned Parenthood has an umbrella organization called the Population Council. So Rousseau Cloth gave the rights to manufacture and distribute to the Population Council. The Population Council doesn't manufacture and distribute, so they made up a company called Danco, which is, uh, I believe it's incorporated in the Cayman Islands, uh, which also doesn't manufacture or distribute. And so the actual manufacturing was done by Walin Pharmaceuticals in China originally. Walin had been under disciplinary action by the FDA for other um, problems with its drug manufacturing process. But that was the manufacturer who manufactured for Danco. And the FDA was basically uh, uh, ordered to approve the drug. Um, the FDA is an administrative agency. So the FDA is under HHS, and HHS, of course, is under the uh, administration. So with that command to approve the drug, there were some people in the FDA, it appears, that had some scruples about it. Because if you read about the initial approval, some people were raising concerns that there were inadequate studies done. There's uh, certain rules that the FDA has to follow. One of those is that they need two well-conducted, what we call randomized controlled trials in order to even base an approval. But there weren't two randomized controlled trials. There was one trial. It was not randomized. It was not controlled. It was was open to Uh, some very questionable scientific practices. And that is what the FDA based the approval on. So it's a completely abnormal process. That being said, the FDA did have at least a few people with shreds of integrity who said, okay, if we have to approve this, we're at least going to put in post-marketing restrictions, which means the FDA can say how it's used. And they approved it under uh, an emergency... um, uh, part of the law called the subpart H, which allowed them to put on postmarking restrictions. But as soon as the, as the drug was approved, D- 
Danco threw off all those post-marketing restrictions. They didn't comply with any of them. And FDA did nothing. They did nothing. And um, so it has been basically used almost willy-nilly by the abortion industry. It's been used way beyond the time limit. It's been used with a different dose than what was approved. Um, it's very concerning. And what's even more concerning is that um, we, I had been part of a citizen petition to the FDA at the time of the approval. The FDA did not answer that citizen petition for 15 years, and they answered it on the same day that they approved a great relaxation of any of the rules. They basically gave the abortion industry everything that it wanted. And on that same day, they answered our citizen petition by saying, well, this is all irrelevant now. Um, so it, it's, it's been very irresponsible action on the part of the administration um, concerning RU-486. What have we learned in this time? This was this was approved by the FDA in 2000, is that right? Correct. Mm-hmm. What have we learned in that time in, what, 17 years? Yeah, well, what we've learned is that the drug causes a, a, a problem enough, well, let me put it this way, about one out of 20 women will end up in the ER. Uh, about 1% of women will end up with major hemorrhage. We have one out of 100,000 who will die from this infection, probably. And again, the FDA hasn't released any records, even though we've requested them. They haven't released any records for uh, since 2011. But in those first few years of approval, there were 14 women that died. It's about a woman a year. And we know that um, the hemorrhages and the infection and the retained tissue get worse as the gestational age increases. So as the pregnancy is older, there are more complications. And so this relaxation of the use of RU-46 to include um, women up to 10 weeks pregnant is completely irresponsible. And especially the last, you know, from nine to 10 weeks, there are very few people that have been studied. And we know that the complications increase at that point. So we're worried about deaths. We're worried about hemorrhaging. We're worried about tissue being left inside, causing infection. We're worried about the fact that both drugs can suppress the immune system, which is why you get those fatal infections. And we're worried about one more thing, and that is the abortion industry is pushing the use of this drug directly to women. So that right now, as we stand, a woman can get RU-46, can get an abortion uh, kit online to completely eliminate the physician, the uh, any kind of medical practitioner. And that's really a horrendous step because that's that's done in India right now. They can uh, in India a woman can access um, chemical abortion, and there have been a few studies which have shown that the complication rates have hugely increased in hospitals in areas where women can freely access it. So we're going to look at a lot more complications for women, and we're going to look at maybe more deaths, especially if women have no medical care. Dr. Harrison, I have two follow-up questions for you. One, you mentioned about purchasing the abortion kit online. Is that right now reality in the United States? And secondly, what are the long-term effects long after the abortion has been, has been performed? Well, those are great questions. Let me address the last one first. 
Nobody knows. Nobody knows the long-term effects of RU486 abortions. There have been a couple studies out of China which have shown that women have much more difficulty getting pregnant afterward, um, especially closely after the RU486, because it does change the lining of the uterus. It, it changes the womb um, in, in molecular ways. Um, so how long those effects last, nobody knows, because nobody's looked. Nobody looks at the long-term effects, especially on children. This drug, the FDA approved this drug in the pediatric population, age 12 on, on up, without any studies in the pediatric population. And this drug is a powerful anti-hormone, which changes the hormones of a girl who's developing. So nobody knows what happens when you give RU46 to a developing girl, whether she will have long-term complications in her breast and her brain. There are receptors for this drug all over the woman's body. It's not just in her womb. It's in her ovaries. It's in her breast. It's in her brain. And nobody knows. So it's truly frightening that we have a drug on the market that has so that's so powerful and so little is known about it. Um, and the second part of your question, I'm sorry, you, you, I was so responding to the second part that I forgot the first part of your question. <laughs> the first one was, again. is the, uh, are these abortion kits that are available over the oh. internet, are they available here in the United States now? Yeah, thanks to the irresponsible um, advertisement by the New York Times in, a, in an article um, talking about Plan C and um, irresponsible uh, journalism uh, and a, a very uh, scientifically irresponsible article in the New England Journal, um, we now have uh, the knowledge that there is a, a company in India that for 300 bucks will mail you your abortion kit. Now, I have no idea what drug is actually in it. They say it's RU-46, but, of course, there's no quality control on any of this. It could be anything. But, um, yes, it, you can order it online. Just like Today. these ads you see on Facebook or on Internet for uh, get, getting everything from Viagra to uh, marijuana. Correct. And, and you just don't and know what it is or where it comes from. Nobody knows where it comes from. Nobody knows what it really is. I mean, you have no quality control on this kind of uh, drug importation from from other countries. There's there's no regulation. And that's and that's not even regulated by by customs as it comes in and out of the. Well, you know, it's. I'd love to have a lawyer look into that. Hmm. It would be nice to know what. Um, what happens when somebody orders a, a abortion kit from India? Um, who who regulates that? Mm-hmm. Is, does customs even recognize it? I don't know. Coming back to the United States, back to to Missouri, why would why would there be a preference for the chemical abortion over the surgical abortion? In uh, well, it's with money. This mm-hmm. It's it's purely money for a chemical abortion. The uh, Planned Parenthood can pay a marginally trained person to give the drug, um, so they don't have to pay a doctor, and you don't even actually have to be seen by a doctor. I, I don't know the specific laws in Missouri, but in several states that are doing this, um, that are pushing chemical abortion, um, they will have uh, the woman interview a computer, and if she says the right things, then um, a button is pushed, and 
the drawer pops open and the drugs come out. So it's it's purely money. You don't have to uh, actually see the patient. You don't actually have to engage in real medical care. You can simply check a few boxes, give her the drug, and say, hey, if you have a problem, honey, call the ER. Um, and, and it's complete uh, ir- medical irresponsibility. And that's the other thing that, that is truly concerning, especially that a judge um, can actually override the will of the people. Um, states are responsible for uh, uh, the medical care in their state. And for unelected, well, they may be elected judges, but uninformed, unmedically trained judges to say, hey, I'm going to override the will of the people and uh, force something to happen. That's, that's like, what country are we living in? This is just crazy. Um, the, and and the, uh, the bigger concern is that um, women are actually not being cared for. This is not medical care. The biggest lie in the world is that abortion is medical care. It's not medical care. Elective abortion has no medical indication. It treats no disease. It's purely a product that's sold to women with a bunch of inaccurate information. Purely a product to kill the baby. That The product produced by an abortion is a dead baby. And so you, you, you have this myth that somehow women's health will be affected. Yeah, it definitely is. Women's health is definitely worsened by the introduction and the promotion of elective abortion, increase in preterm birth and subsequent pregnancies, increase in suicide, substance abuse, and hospitalizable major depression, which you will see in Missouri as uh, more and more abortions happen. It's about a five to ten year lag in, in from the time of the abortion till the time you see these complications. And in a woman who's never brought a baby to term and the and she aborts, she will have arrested her breast in a state where the breast is more susceptible to breast cancer because losing a pregnancy before 32 weeks in a woman who's never had a term baby uh, losing a pregnancy before 32 weeks for any reason increases her risk of breast cancer and the most common reason for losing a pregnancy in this country is abortion and that's been well illustrated in the african-american community because african-american women have about three times the rate of abortion as Caucasian women, they also have three times the rate of preterm birth. They have three times the rate of breast cancer. And I, I, I don't know that studies have looked specifically at the suicide rate in the African-American community, but it's stunning that we have known these things for 50 years and that the information is not given to women prior to aborting. It's an informed consent issue. And when a good movie to look at, you should watch the movie Hush. Hmm. Our, my organization didn't have anything to do with making that movie, but it's, it's an excellent um, investigative journalist piece that came out of, uh, from a Canadian investigative journalist, a woman who sought to debunk all the associations between abortion and any problems. And at the end of it, she found out they're true. So she said, uh, well, I won't, I won't be a spoiler. It's a good movie. You should watch it. it. Yes, it's it's definitely worth viewing, and you can uh, you can certainly find that online. Speaking of uh, the facts and truth, what can we do to combat this misinformation regarding women's health and uh, abortion? What can we do to combat this misinformation, this this hiding of the truth? I think 
really churches need to get involved in a number of different ways. And one of those is that they need to educate their, their, the people in their pew because the statistics, <clears throat> the statistics for women that go to church are not much different than the statistics for women that don't. So that means one out of every three women in the pew has probably had an abortion. <clears throat> so it's going to be important that we talk about this. And you can go to our website, which is educate yourself make sure that you know the facts so that you can speak about them and 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 rid us of this misinformation dr donna harrison executive director american association of pro-life obstetricians and gynecologists thank you so much for being our guest today thank you andy kip what a what a a heartbreaking reality it is, and I was unaware of the uh, of the statistics that she threw out about the African American um, African American community, where there is a direct relation here. Uh, that's that's something that definitely needs study. Well, in in all of my uh, you know study of the this issue of abortion and women's health, it uh, it, it appears that quite often. Uh, the African-American population is targeted or historically mm. it's been targeted um, when it comes to marketing uh, abortion. Well, it has been. And, you know, let's be very honest here about the history of Planned Parenthood when it was founded by uh, Margaret Sanger, who was an avowed racist mm. and actually said one of the reasons she wanted to do this was to weed out what she called weed people. Well, we have more on this issue, and uh, we'll we'll come right back in just a moment with uh, another guest. Do you want to give us a hint? Yes. Uh, the guest on this is going to be Missouri State Attorney General, Mr. Josh Holling. We'll be back in just a moment right here on Faith and Family. Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. 
cuw.edu. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. Can you imagine the world without Judy Garland? The way she sang Over the Rainbow and The Wizard of Oz has touched generations. But she was almost aborted. Sid Luft, Garland's former husband, recalled before he died that her parents, Ethel and Frank Gum, weren't happy with another pregnancy and wanted to have an abortion. So they went to a friend for advice who was a medical student. The friend told them to go home and have their third child. So they did, and a star was literally born. Ironically, Judy Garland went on to play a leading role in the remake of the film, A Star is Born. There have been 60 million abortions in America. It makes you wonder how many beautiful songs were left unsung because the voices were silenced by abortion. For more information, visit our website at lifeissues.org. And stay informed, more informed than you've ever been. Worldwide KFUO is faithful to the Holy Scriptures. Our talk programs, music programs, and worship services focus on the message of salvation through Christ. Generations of families have confidence in KFUO to proclaim a clear, unwavering message of Christ crucified for sins. Faithful, scriptural, Lutheran. We are Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. Welcome back to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. And I'm Kip Allen. And uh, Andy and I are going to be talking right now to the Attorney General of the State of Missouri, Mr. Josh Hawley. Mr. Attorney General, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you. Well, sir, we've got a, a very critical situation here in Missouri, and of course you are heavily involved in this. What has happened is uh, at, the, at the moment, Planned Parenthood has only one abortion clinic in the state of Missouri here in St. Louis where they perform both surgical and chemical abortions. Now they want to uh, open up another four facilities, and in the wake of the whole woman's health issue uh, resolution from the uh, state of, pardon me, from the Supreme Court, They've struck down virtually all of the safety issues, all the safety regulations that protect women in these particular situations. And we have a U.S. District Judge, Mr. Howard Sachs, who has ruled that the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services must facilitate the licensing of new facilities. And I understand, sir, that you are taking the forefront in challenging this. Could you give us some background and tell us where we stand now? Well, it's, it's my job and my privilege to defend Missouri's laws. And as you say, Missouri has had on the books for a number of years now some common sense regulations that require abortion facilities to meet basic health and safety standards. Uh, they require them to meet uh, certain building specifications. And perhaps more importantly, they require abortionists uh, to be able to admit women who undergo abortions, uh, women in their care, to be able to admit them to a local hospital in the case of a complication or an emergency which happens not infrequently. And these same laws also require the abortion centers to meet the same basic surgical standards that an outpatient clinic would for any other kind of surgery. And, you know, it, it's, it's really common sense. I mean, the state of Missouri licenses medical facilities all across the state. We require every facility that the state licenses to meet certain basic medical requirements and standards. And that's what we've asked of abortion procedures. And now or abortion facilities, rather, and, and now Planned Parenthood is trying to exempt all abortion facilities from these basic health requirements. 
So we have gone to court uh, to fight Planned Parenthood's challenge. Uh, They are attempting to strike down our laws in the state of Missouri. Uh, They had some success doing this with somewhat similar laws in the state of Texas, as you allude to, last year. Uh, But we are fighting to stop it, and we will defend Missouri's laws as vigorously as we can and uh, as long as we have to uh, until we get a final resolution. What is realistically, what are the chances, do you think, of us winning in this case, given the fact that the Supreme Court has ruled, indicated that uh, perhaps they don't really much care about the uh, about the safety regs? Their concern is whether or not women have access to abortion. Well, this is a, a fight, the fight to uh, protect women's health and safety, and then also the fight to protect the life of the unborn child is, is a fight that needs to proceed along many fronts. And that's why I'm, I'm glad that uh, Governor Eric Greitens has called the legislature in a special session uh, to consider additional legislation that would protect the safety uh, of women uh, in abortion facilities across the state. Those efforts need to go forward. We need to continue to fight uh, in court. We do believe, I do believe, that our laws in Missouri are different than the ones the U.S. Supreme Court struck down in the Texas case last year. Uh, there are various uh, accommodations that abortion facilities can apply for in the state of Missouri and uh, that were not available in the Texas case. And there are several other uh, differences between our laws and the Texas law. So we are making those arguments. We are pressing those arguments in federal court. We will continue to do so. And uh, we're hopeful that the United States Court of Appeals, which is where we are now, that the Court of Appeals will uh, acknowledge that Missouri's laws are about protecting health and safety and will reverse the lower court. But uh, even if they don't, we will continue to fight, and, and uh, we continue to urge the legislature uh, to take measures to protect women's health. When is the hearing before the uh, Court of Appeals? We have currently a uh, two things pending before them. We have asked them to hear the case in full, and they will do that. They have not yet set a date for the actual argument in that case. And we've also asked them in the meantime, while they are waiting to hear argument, to stay the effect of the district court's ruling. In other words, uh, don't strike down the laws just yet. Keep the, These are, after all, health and safety regulations. Keep those in place while we continue to go through this litigation. So we have both of those requests pending, and we are waiting uh, to hear from the court. Uh, we have already submitted our application for a stay, asking them to, to keep the laws in place while we litigate. Uh, so that is fully briefed. We're waiting to see if they'll want to hear argument. Uh, on that we don't know yet and uh, then we're waiting for them to set a date for argument in the full case uh, as to whether or not uh, these laws uh, can survive constitutional challenge one thing that strikes me is there are a number of agencies and organizations that have uh, these regulations safety regulations applied to them everything from i think nail salons up to uh, well for example my wife is a nurse in a colonoscopy center and their procedures are certainly much less invasive than inducing an abortion and yet they are have have to have all of these regulations this really strikes me as as an inequity as as a well i guess the best way to do it is say that there's a political activism involved in here i mean judge Sachs in his ruling said that the licensing should be done in his words without effective influence from opponents of abortions well he also compared uh, those who seek to protect the health of women and, and to uphold these these basic health and safety standards that as you allude to virtually every other medical facility in the state has to meet he the judge and the district court judge says that uh people who seek to uphold these are like segregationists which was i thought entirely inappropriate and really gives you a sense of 
the activism that we are dealing with here. Uh, abortion always, unfortunately, tends to bring out uh, the most activist inclinations uh, of judges uh, who want to see their own personal beliefs upheld rather than the law. So there's no place for that kind of overheated rhetoric uh, that we've seen from the district judge. He needs to stick to the law that we believe he committed several errors in his judgment. Uh, and that's why we're seeking appeal to the United States Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit. And uh, we're hopeful that we will soon get a hearing before that court. We know we will get a hearing before that court, and we hope that it'll be soon. Well, I'm, I look at, for example, the uh, case of Kermit Gosnell in uh, Pennsylvania, where, again, they had no no oversight. And I mean that, that turned into an abattoir. Exactly right. Exactly right. I mean, these are regulations that are common sense regulations. Uh, they are, we are asking, the state of Missouri is asking, and has for years, by the way, asked abortion facilities to meet the same basic standards that other outpatient facilities, like places that perform colonoscopies, as you referenced, that's a great example of places that perform any sort of outpatient surgery, uh, that they would meet abortion facilities those same standards. I mean, th this is not uh, an unusual or unprecedented or unreasonable requirement. I mean, after all, they are seeking, abortionists are seeking license to, to practice what they call medicine from the state of Missouri. And by the way, abortionists have said for years that we ought to treat their procedures and their work as just any other medical procedure. They've been arguing for years that they're like any other doctor, but now they're telling us, no, we want to be special. We don't want to be subject to the same health and safety requirements as virtually every other doctor. So you can't have it both ways. If they're going to get licensed and they're going to be treated as medical facilities, then they should have to meet basic medical safety standards. Well, for example, one safety standard my wife tells me they have to do at the colonoscopy center is to make sure the aisles are wide enough and the route to the outside is wide enough to take a gurney out to an ambulance in the case of an emergency. And certainly That's in the case of an abortion, a woman could hemorrhage and needs to get out immediately. And if they're not regulated that way, she could die. It's absolutely correct, and that's why one of the safety regulations at issue in this case are building requirements uh, that require the, the aisles and passageways, the exits and, and entrances to be of a certain width and size for precisely those reasons. I mean, again, this is, these, these are regulations geared at protecting the health of women. You might think, uh, based on what uh, the district court said or what you hear from uh, the press or, or left-wing activists, you might think that, oh, these are regulations that that uh, prohibit uh, women from having abortions. Actually, not at all. These are regulations that relate to the abortion facility and seek to keep them safe and sanitary and up to code. So it really is It's remarkable to me that Planned Parenthood and the abortion lobby uh, is so unwilling to meet the same health and safety standards as every other doctor. I think that that's really very, very telling. Uh, they don't want to be treated like other medical professionals. They want to be special. They want low standards. They want to do what they do uh, in the dark, without supervision, without accountability. And that is extremely, extremely dangerous. Andy Bates here. Are you aware of any other organizations or entities that have uh, that have been excused from such safety regulations? Uh, you know, with such demands that uh, the the abortion industry has demanded. No, no, I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm not familiar with, with any other branch of medical science that, that holds itself out as members of the medical profession, but simultaneously says we don't want to be 
held to the same standards as the rest of the medical profession. Again, you know, the, our basic outpatient surgeries, whether that's someone that going to have uh, see their podiatrist and have a basic operation done uh, in and out on, a, on an ingrown toenail, for heaven's sake, uh, those facilities have to meet these basic health and safety standards. So these are not onerous regulations. They are familiar regulations uh, that uh, much of the rest of the medical profession uh, gladly agrees to and abides by precisely because they're doctors and they want their patients to be safe. And I just have to wonder, as I listen to the rhetoric of the abortionists, do they really want their patients to be safe? Do they really care about the health and safety of the women who are in their facilities? Or is this really just about ideology? Is this really just about abortion on demand? Because if they care about their patients, if they care about the safety of the women who come to them, then they should be quite glad to follow and comply with these basic medical standards. It is my understanding that it is likely that the the proposed uh, the proposed Planned Parent clinic Planned Parenthood clinics um, that would be newly licensed to offer abortions would most likely be using um, RU four eighty six chemical abortions more than surgical abortions. We just spoke with Dr. Donna Harrison, OBGYN, uh, and she explained to us that the the complications, the dangers, the risks of this, uh, aside from a child dying, are are significant. One in twenty women uh, suffer complications requiring uh, going to the emergency right, room. Requiring one mm-hmm. percent of them actually suffer major hemorrhaging. The, but it's the idea hearing. The, this concept of, well, they would be offering chemical abortions or, or pharmaceutical RU486, the abortion pill, to the uninformed person sounds very, oh, well, that's, that's far less dangerous than a surgical procedure. Mr. Harley, what are, what are your thoughts on this as, as this is being presented to people as uh, this idea of a, an abortion pill versus a, uh, a surgical procedure at these clinics? Well, what the abortionists want is they they want the ability to perform any kind of abortion at at uh, at these clinics, and so they want the state to give them carte blanche and to say do as you will. And they say now, well, we, we'll start with just chemical abortions, but they could well proceed to surgical abortions. I mean, they want full approval to go ahead and do whatever they want. What they really want at the end is they just want to be exempted from all regulation. They if they had their way, there would be no health and safety regulations. There would be no oversight. You know, we hear all the time uh, uh, the the abortion lobby talks about uh, the dangers of back alley abortions. Well, what Planned Parenthood and others are asking for in striking down these health and safety regulations is not too far from back alley abortions. And I think it's quite perverse. I mean, for those who say that they support a woman's right to choose, they ought to be in support of women's health. They ought to be in support of safety for women. And again, basic medical standards. So I would challenge those who say that uh, they want to ensure that we're not we don't have to go back as they put it to the days of back alley abortions well let's not go back now let's make sure that we are protecting the health and safety of all of the women in this state including those who come to these facilities for these procedures uh, that's what this lawsuit is about that's what these regulations are for uh, let's not confuse the issue and i ch- i challenge them to stand up for women's health rather than harming it Mr. Attorney General, we want to thank you so much for joining us here on Faith and Family, and I'm sure we will be in contact with you again as soon as the court hears this case. Well, thank you. Thanks for all you're doing, and thank you for bringing attention to this extremely important case. 
and uh, to the cause of life. I mean, I will just I want to end by saying there is no right that is more foundational than the right to life and protection for the innocent unborn. So thank you for giving voice to this issue. Amen. What does truth-informed women's health care look like? Stick around. More Faith and Family right after this. Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance on KFUO, inviting you to tune in to the weekend edition of the program, the new time of 7.45 a.m. Saturday and Sunday mornings, Central Time. There'll be a different text and theme each week and plenty of encouragement and strength, which only the Lord's Word can supply. So join me for a quarter hour of God's power and strength. That's Moments of Assurance weekend at 7.45 a.m. Saturday and Sunday mornings on KFUO. Most of my family, they never graduated high school, so I'm trying to break that barrier. My daughter, Brooklyn, was also a motivation for me to go back to school. Every day after work, went straight to school, and it paid off. At age 26, Kareem finished his high school diploma. I could not have done it alone. I see the future is really bright for me. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Musical instruments need regular tuning, and there is a sense in which the human heart also needs to be tuned in order to sing and live truthfully. Tune my heart to sing thy grace, says an old American hymn. We'll hear that hymn and other well-tuned songs on the next Sing for Joy. Sundays at noon on KFUO, the messenger of good news. Welcome back to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. And I'm Kip Allen. Joining us now, Diane Vaughn, RN, uh, registered nurse with and regional manager for Thrive St. Louis here in the St. Louis area talking about truth-informed women's health care. Diane, welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you so much for having me. A privilege to have you join us. Tell us uh, about the organization Thrive and your involvement with that. Sure. Well, I began as a volunteer um, doing ultrasounds in about 2009. And then I joined, I joined the incredible staff in about, I guess, it was, it was 2011. And um, as regional manager, I oversee the medical side of things under the guidance of our medical directors. So, and I can tell you that this nursing job is by far the most rewarding and meaningful job um, in the history of my career. What is Thrive? How does Thrive serve the St. Louis community, particularly women? That's a great question. Um, we are actually Express Women's Healthcare. Um, we are a Christ-centered organization, and we empower young men and women to make life-affirming, esteemable, and healthy decisions about sex, unplanned pregnancy, and relationships. So how do you go about that? What are the services that, uh, that you offer to help them make those informed decisions? Well, there's many aspects and a variety of programs within Thrive. Um, and the great thing is that all of our services are free and confidential, so we offer both medical and non-medical services, and all our medical services are performed by licensed medical professionals. And so we'll do things like pregnancy testing, pregnancy verification, ultrasounds, options, consultation, 
STD testing and treatment, um, parenting and life skills classes. We offer material resources, some temporary maternal housing, uh, physician referral, and just referrals to other great community um, places. And then we also have a, a sexual risk avoidance curriculum through our Best Choice and our Date Safe program. So there's a lot to thrive. How, when a, how does a, a woman find you, particularly you know, if she's scared or vulnerable, if, if she realizes uh, or, or suspects that she may be facing a pregnancy at a time when she is uninformed, scared, uh, it, it feels like she, she can't handle the, uh, all the circumstances that come with a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. How do you serve these women in that time? Yeah, I would say um, the majority of our women really hear from us through word of mouth because they know people who've came to th- who've gone to thrive and who've had a great wonderful experience um, they also hear through the uh, internet um, through radio ads um, so there's a variety of different ways that people do hear about thrive but but really when a woman experiences an unplanned pregnancy yes they are feeling very vulnerable yes they are scared and so um, everyone really knows that there's three choices but not everyone really knows how to gather all the information about those choices in order uh, to make that informed decision. So when a woman comes to Thrive, they really experience um, the best support and care, care and really all the medically accurate information and services that they need to make that informed decision. Um, we go about it in a very non-judgmental environment. It's not manipulative or coercive. And so, you know, women are feeling heard. Women are feeling like they're leaving our center with the next step, um, you know, for their health and the health of their baby. Miss um, Vaughn, Kip Allen here. I have a question for you. Perhaps the most vulnerable of those who would be facing the situation of an unexpected pregnancy would be minors. Do you deal with minor women as well? Um, we will actually do pregnancy tests on as young as, like, uh, I think the youngest that I've ever had um, a patient was about 12 years old. Um, and, I mean, the law is that um, these kind of services remain confidential. And so if a young woman does come to us, um, we do serve them. Um, but we do refer to pediatricians. We refer to physicians. Um, and so, but if they're coming and they're experiencing unplanned pregnancy and we do that pregnancy test on them, we find that they are indeed, you know, have a positive pregnancy test. Um, we're the very people that they need to come to. Uh, we have the answers for them. We are the experts in what we do to really help them, um, you know, make that best decision for them. So yes, we will serve them. And just to stress what you said earlier, this information would be held in confidence. Absolutely. Um, of course, we are compliant. So with any health care facility, we do abide by that. And, uh, what about an outreach program? Do you reach out to local high schools and uh, groups like that where you would run into these minors who need the help? Um, we actually uh, have a sexual risk avoidance curriculum. It's called the Best Choice. And um, we are in middle school and high schools all over the St. Louis uh, area. And so um, through that curriculum, they receive a, a variety of, you know, really great information 
to help them live a healthy lifestyle. Um, and so, you know, usually through the curriculum, um, the, the presenters that present the curriculum, um, you know, they, if they have a student that comes to them and, say, and says, hey, I think I might be pregnant, what do I do? They will refer to Thrive. How are, we've talked quite a bit about women and, and particularly young women being served by Thrive. How are men a part of this, uh, this picture and how Thrive serves women? Right. Men are, are so integral and very important um, to these women and their relationships and their decisions that they're making. Um, you know, obviously, if uh, the woman's boyfriend is with them and the woman wants them to come in to the appointment, you know, after we let them know, we'll be, after we go over a lot of the, you know, initial information with them um, that is more personal and private health information, then we'll let the, the a potential father of the baby come back with them. And um, a lot of times, you know, they're instrumental in the kind of support that they can offer this woman. And we do provide um, parenting classes, which uh, allows both um, the mother and the father to come to these classes and to receive life skills and how to really be a good parent should they choose to carry the term and, and parent. So, um, you know, we... We want them involved if, uh, obviously, the, the mom wants them involved. For the, the young woman who's, who's facing uh, these questions of an unexpected pregnancy, uh, how do we direct them? How do they find out uh, more about Thrive St. Louis? Great question. So they can actually go to our website. It's our patient website, and that is www.thrivestlewis.org. Or they can call our helpline, and our helpline number is 314-773-4626. Diane Vaughn, Regional Manager for Thrive St. Louis, thank you so much for being our guest today on Faith and Family. Sure, thank you for having us. Well, that has been, it's been a just an enlightening hour. Kip, thanks so much for co-hosting with me today. It's been a privilege, Andy. Coming up next, Thy Strong Word, right here on the Messenger of Good News Worldwide, KFUO. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.